Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. All right, I'm gonna start. <laughs> um, later today, we are gonna be celebrating Jukai for Cassie and Trouty and Trent, uh, members of the Sangha, long-term members of the Sangha, who are uh, receiving the precepts in this formal ceremony today. I asked Peg and Flint yesterday what Jukai means, and, the, and Peg said that the Kai refers to the precepts, and Ju is like ceremony, right? And uh, Peg and Flint have renamed this as Bodhisattva Initiation Ceremony. Bodhisattva Initiation Ceremony. So, and during the last week, I got to participate in the intensive here in person, and Peg and Flint kind of created, uh, showed how the precepts and vow and uh, everything that goes into it, and the you know relationships within our sangha, relationships out into the world, into our interior spaces, that they are all a kind of a rainforest, a, a whole ecosystem of giving and receiving, and um, just a very beautiful living structure that, that comes uh, from the, the, that comes from and that leads to the step that, that Cassie and the others are, are formally avowing today. So I, I'm going to talk some about part of that, the precepts, uh, because I'm in the role of, of leading the precepts group for this year. And, and Lipscomb is going to talk about uh, another crucial part of, the, of what leads to Jukai, uh, and that is the sewing of Buddha's robe, and, and McCready, who took, I'm sorry, who received, or I, I stumble on that every time, taking, receiving, um, taking the vow and receiving uh, of Jukai, um, what that experience was like last year, you know, in I believe the first Jukai at Alcamada, right? No, no. First since the pandemic. First since the pandemic. Okay, yeah. Thank you. All right. Um, so originally, the precepts were from the Vinaya. From a Sanskrit word for leading apart, meaning uh, taking monastic discipline, rules for living together as homeless monastics, uh, and uh, how to how to do that, how to meet other people within the framework of uh, a harmonious framework in a very unusual situation for most people, and then the, the precepts have been adapted through different cultural settings and for different groups of people, as it became clear that living in accordance with Buddha's teachings in various living situations requires a strong ethical guidance as a basis for skillful means and fully embracing the Buddha's virtues of loving kindness, sympathetic joy, compassion, and patience. Um, one important point uh, has been 
made many times by teachers here, and then I think it, it's very important to say it here, that in Soto Zen, the precepts are not equivalent to the Ten Commandments. One will not be punished by an angry God for breaking any of the precepts. Although, as we find in our lives, our actions do have consequences, uh, certainly in this life. Uh, by studying the precepts, instead of following habitual patterns, the way humans have for millennia, and the way I seemingly have for millennia, uh, you can more clearly see the consequences of your actions and attitudes in this life, day by day, which is itself a form of liberation. One of the messages of the precepts is that one it is one also reiterated in the Lojong slogans, which when I first gave this talk, I was in the middle of studying with many of the folks who are online here. Um, and the uh, slogan 45, which reminds us that our human life is precious because with good spiritual guides and with a willingness to hold that preciousness to our hearts, we already have everything we need to awaken in this life. Uh, here are some of the ways the precepts have been expressed. In Theravadan Buddhism, there are five basic precepts for lay Buddhists. I undertake to observe the precept to abstain from killing. I undertake to observe the precept to abstain from stealing. I undertake to observe the precept to abstain from misusing sex. I undertake to observe the precept to abstain from lying. I undertake to observe the precept to abstain from abusing intoxicants. Uh, Mahayana Buddhists can take related but similar forms of precepts vows that can be 10 or 13 or 16 precepts. There are the first, the, the three pure precepts. I undertake to avoid unskillful or harmful action. I undertake to act skillfully. I undertake, I undertake to save all beings. And then the grave or grand precepts, not killing, not stealing, not misusing sex, not lying, not abusing intoxicants, not talking about others' errors or faults, not elevating oneself and blaming others, not being stingy, not being angry, not speaking ill of the three treasures uh, or refuges, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And, the, and then the three Bodhisattva precepts celebrated, especially in Jukai, are the vows to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And um, if I can find my paper here. The uh, teacher and writer Nancy Mujo Baker says that in particular, in the Dogen-inspired lineages of Zen, the precepts are presented, I, I just read them as not stealing, not lying, not killing. She says they are printed, print, presented as non-stealing, non-lying, and so forth, instead of not stealing, and don't steal, and not lying, and don't lie. This will help us see why the Jukai, the Jukai ceremony of receiving the precepts is not about becoming Buddhist, but rather about becoming a Buddha. And um, uh, just a brief quote, uh, there's a, 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 a part of the Shobogenzo called the Shohaku Makusa, uh, or on not doing wrong, which has at least some of uh, Dogen's reflections on um, on the precepts, and uh, 
it's hard to translate into English the, the terminology that, that uh, Dogen uses for this. He makes a, a kind of a compound noun out of verbs and, and gerunds and stuff. But basically, uh, and, and I, I recently used this in another talk, uh, Brad Warner wrote a book, uh, the, the teacher Brad Warner wrote a book called Don't Be a Jerk and Other Lessons from Dogen. <laughs> uh, and uh, I, I'm on screen with, with uh, Nelda, Nelda and I have had a very deep conversation about this afterwards, and we're going to come back to this later on. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm having to uh, retranslate from Brad Warner's version because I, I couldn't follow it in the, in the original Dogen version. <laughs> but uh, basically, Warner says that Dogen emphasizes a particular point. Uh, a wrongdoer is not something you are. And this, uh, you, so this is one way in which um, Buddhism and Soto Zen in particular are different from the Abrahamic religions, right? Uh, a wrongdoer is not something that you are. Being a wrongdoer is something you do, and it only takes place while you are doing wrong. There is no wrongdoer outside of you taking the actions of being a wrongdoer. You cease to be a wrongdoer. Uh, when you cease to do those actions, the wrongdoer that you were when you were doing those wrong actions vanishes instantly. So a, a much different starting point, a much different psychology, a much different uh, understanding of, of human nature and, and of all of reality. And then our main text for uh, the precepts class here, uh, as everyone knows, is Diane Ishii Rizetto's book, uh, Waking Up to What You Do, and she reorders that list of 16 and collapses them into eight precepts that are broader and much more abstract, much more in line with, with Dogen's um, uh, leadership on this, and stated in, in uh, more positive language. I take up the way of speaking truthfully. I take up the way of speaking of others with openness and possibility. I take up the way of meeting others on equal ground. I take up the way of cultivating a clear mind. I take up the way of taking only what is freely given and giving freely all that I can. I take up the way of engaging in sexual intimacy, intimacy respectfully and with an open heart. I take up the way of letting go of anger. I take up the way of supporting life. And she reminds us that the precepts can be conceptualized in various ways as a beacon a kind of a beacon, a reminder that a nearly infinite web of interactions and interbeing is involved in everything we encounter, and that it would, be, it would do us well to consider this carefully when we choose to take an action which has the potential to be hurtful. Um, as a sign above a doorway, an invitation to enter and explore the intentions of our actions openly and honestly. It's not a directive to berate ourselves for our behavior, but to face squarely the consequences of our actions on ourselves and others, and to consider those as riddles that deny us easy answers. Is it always wrong to break a precept? Can we be too rigid in holding to precepts and thereby cause harm and be unskillful? Um, or, and they, they can be seen as should or should not uh, binary. Should in the sense of embracing difficult exploration and should not in the sense of coming to know 
when our actions are motivated by selfishness, even when we don't want to believe that about ourselves. Um, Rosetto talks about approaching the precepts using a metaphor from a trapeze artist, the dead spot or the midpoint uh, when one is midair has let go of one trapeze bar is not yet supported by the other. She writes, whatever it is, no matter how big or small, this dead spot appears when we cannot engage in our habitual way of holding and grasping for the bars, either because we are forced to let go or we willfully launch ourselves into midair. Life pries our fingers loose, and no matter how much we try to avoid it, we end up, we end up in the suspended moment not knowing what comes next. Pema Chodron offers a, a much more comfortable uh, uh, metaphor for me. I, I hang on a bit here, it gives me a primal fear. Uh, she says, our anxiety, heartbreak, and tenderness uh, mark an in-between state. It's the kind of place we usually want to avoid. The challenge is to let it soften us rather than to make us more rigid and afraid. Becoming intimate with the queasy feeling of being in the middle of nowhere, which the precepts bring up over and over, only makes our hearts more tender. When we are brave enough to stay in the middle, compassion arises spontaneously. By not knowing, not hoping to know, and not acting like we know what's happening, we begin to access our inner strength. And uh, I'll, I'll wrap this up in a few more paragraphs here. Uh, Robert Rosenbaum, in his new book entitled, That Is Not Your Mind, writes, the precepts provide structure for uh, structure to support us, forms to pour ourselves into, means to strengthen our moral muscles so that our bones can take us where our intentions aim. They need to be actualized in concrete actions that fit specific situations. If the way we deal with the situation fosters a sense of mutuality, that's a sign we are acting in accordance with the precepts. When we create paths wide enough to make room for everyone, we're traipsing through the terrain of interbeing. The teaching of the Dharma is simple. We are all in this together. <laughs> that's it. So, thank you. And, um, and on to the sewing. All right, so Buddha's robe. Um, it's very lovely to be here and speak. Um, thank you all for your kind attention. Um, I do feel I also was at the intensive that we just had and feel so much resonance because of my experience of the intensive with the words that you spoke that you read about interbeing in that dead spot that spot between the balance of momentum and gravity <laughs> that time when you're not those two things are right in balance and and how that's always changing it doesn't last that doesn't last you can't stay there you have to keep moving one way or the other so i'm going to speak about sewing buddha's robe which is one of the 
aspects or one of the practices involved in Jukai. Um, when people approach a teacher and ask to sew, the, um, the criteria or the qualification, the requirement here at Appamata is that you are studying precepts in the class or you have in the past studied the precepts. Um, so you need to be in an intimate connection with study of the precepts in order to begin sewing Buddha's robe. Um, Buddha's robe is this. For, for us at Appamata, we don't wear formal robes, but this is considered, this is Buddha's robe, called a rakasu. Um, and it brings us back to that still point that between momentum and gravity, that point between the material, something you're sewing, something that you buy some fabric or someone gives you some fabric, you cut it, you measure it, you mark it, you stitch it together, you follow a set of instructions, you create something that you can hold and touch and others can see. And what is this thing? What is the connection between precepts and rakasu? What is the connection between our everyday life and just this ultimate reality? Um, so I'd like to read several things, and you're not going to be able to see this, but I'll describe it. This is a, a book called Buddha's Robe is Sewn. It's more a pamphlet that was put together, compiled by a sewing teacher at the um, Berkeley Zen Center, Jean Selkirk. And it's basically a um, compendium of lots of different sources talking about Buddha's robe and sewing. And so lots of different voices here and amazing wisdom in this tiny little book. So I'd like to start with um, a quote from one of our founders, Shinrei Suzuki Roshi, about the Dharma of Buddha's robe. Our rakasu is not just symbol of, of our teaching, but is actually Dharma itself. But unless you have proper understanding of it, the rakasu is something which you wear as a symbol of being Buddhist. But that is not proper understanding. The proper understanding of our zazen or rakasu is same, not different. So unless you have real experience of zazen, zazen experience, rakasu is not actually rakasu. It is just something you wear. It is not dharma itself. Again, we're back to there is a thing 
in our case, a blue square of fabric around your neck. And in the other case, there's Dharma. They are the same thing. What does that mean about receiving precepts and creating one of these rakasu? The next quote I'd like to give is from another of our founders, N.K. Blanche Hartman, who was not only a great teacher, but a dedicated sewing teacher. She says, sewing Buddha's robe is first and foremost a devotional practice. by taking refuge with each stitch, immerses me in just this stitch, stitch after stitch, just as following the exhale immerses me in just this breath as I sit zazen. With each stitch, we say the refuges in Japanese, namu kie butsu, namu Kie bo, namu kie so, which means I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha. The literal translation of the character ki is to plunge into with nothing held back as a needle plunges into cloth. And the A means to rely on. So using the Japanese, we have the vitality and the vivid image of plunging into and relying on Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, stitch after stitch. She goes on. This practice is about love as much as it is about refuge, precepts, concentration, attention to detail, making beautiful stitches, exact measurements, or completing the robe once you begin. All of these elements are important, but if I only convey the mechanics of the craft, I feel that I am failing my teachers. What they taught me was faith, devotion, and love through the medium of sewing Buddha's robe. Sewing, being taught about love and compassion and carrying those forward. I recently went to a Dharma talk by a sewing teacher, um, Valerie Beer, and she said something about sewing that has stayed with me. Um, wearing a rakasu, wearing Buddha's robe, we are wearing our vow. The robe is the Dharma. The rakasu is the vow. We're not merely proclaiming something. We are something. 
And lastly, I'd like to read a quote from the sewing teacher, Jean Selkirk, who compiled this booklet. She talks about her journey of sewing Buddha's robe and why she felt drawn to sew. And one of her sentences is, I had an intention to affirm my aspiration to practice. It wasn't because she wanted to be marked out as different or part of something, but she wanted to affirm her aspiration to practice, which I, I really feel like is a wonderful description of why we come to sewing, how we come to sewing. And then she says, continuing to practice and learn, and this is a description of her sewing her first rakasu. Continuing to practice and learn, I noticed that sewing and wearing Buddha's robe deepened my understanding, connection with Sangha, and meditation practice. Buddha's robe began to express for me the essence of compassionate bodhisattva practice. First came the effort of offering stitches without thought of gaining anything, even finishing. Then, in treating the robe with gentle respect, as if we were one, not two, the robe became tangibly steeped in the caring stillness and openness cultivated by practice. So I hope that's given some flavor, some taste of how Arakasu, how Buddha's robe is imagined how it comes into being in our minds and then in our hands and then how it continues to move through us. So thank you. I'll pass this over to Anne. Yes. Um, thank you for Joel and Anne and Peg for inviting me to participate today and to speak as one of the people who uh, participated in the Jukai ceremony here at Alpamata most recently, um, almost exactly a year ago. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, so I'm going to speak to that, to, to participate as a, having participated in the Jukai ceremony and how that resonated with me and um, how it's continued to uh, extend throughout my life and practice. Um, Jukai is just, it's a beautiful ritual ceremony of receiving precepts um, with the whole uh, part as has been so uh, carefully outlined by Joel and about the um, 
10 great precepts of non-stealing, um, non-killing, etc. And then there's the aspect of formally taking refuge. And um, I had also, I have not read this recent book by Nancy Mujo Baker, but I heard a talk that she gave on um, tricycle talks. Um, and she talked in this way about how when in um, Jukai that we, in, in, in taking formally the precepts that it's not even necessarily so much taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, but as Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and, and then also being a reference to how um, it's this formal, that we all are Buddhas, and it's also this formal recognition of each of us as Buddhas. Um, and in the ceremony, and then also in contemplating the, the precepts, there's this great sense for me of harmony. And um, part of it is in the um, receiving of a formal lineage chart that through PEG, I traces all the way back to Shakyamuni Buddha um, through all those many generations that I have this bloodline through there. And that, um, not that I'm special or different than anybody else who has maybe not taken Jukai, but that it really um, is an embodiment of that. Um, at least that's, that's my sense of it, um, how I'm feeling into it in our whole intertwined karma um, going back. Um, and then I guess it also for me that more uh, a deeper sense of, of how we are the like present day Buddhas in this, and we will be ancestors in the future. Um, so, um, another thing that, um, that she actually mentioned in that talk that is a quote from Dogen is like in Zazen, what precept is not followed? And so I'm going to the Jukai, which feels like one of those spots where everything is suspended in that, in the formality of it, of the, um, hearing and repeating vows, um, bowing to um, altars and to um, what they represent, that there's this great sense of harmony. And that is like in, in Zazen when we're um, taking, we're entering that ceremony of Zazen, that there's also this sense of stepping um, beyond our discursive nature, even if we don't necessarily perceive that, that we are entering that great flow of Buddha's way and um, connecting in a um, more aware way of um, our part in the absolute uh, reality. So, um, and then also I, I feel like in this whole contemplation, it's, it's really kind of a, um, for me as well, it's like with sewing, sewing my rakasu and um, well, first starting with taking the precepts class with Peg and then 
later some of my rakasu um, with Anne and and then um, going to the Jukai ceremony. It also brought about this great sense of the harmony and that um, warm hand to warm hand from my teachers. Um, and it's really extended beyond the ceremony as well in terms of continuing just to contemplate in my daily life um, how the precepts um, are guiding my actions where I am not maybe uh, wholeheartedly being um, in alignment with um, the precepts, um, the ways that it's a um, not a black and white issue. There's many different ways to see how, as human beings, we with greed, hate, and delusion are um, not skillful, and that we are. Um, um, even in little ways, like with um, um, maybe maybe having the intoxicant of of um, speaking in front of other people is that an intoxicant? Is that a or is it just um, alcohol and drugs? That um, just feeling into and reading all these different about different ways of holding and contemplating them. But overall, I just wanted to bring back the, come back to the point of, for me, the Chukai, um, that it is um, a, um, it was definitely um, a stepping into this harmony of being in um, and taking refuge Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, and um, the harmony that is expressed from and with our Sangha. So thank you. Yeah, John. Well, first of all, I want to congratulate you and thank you for giving what I consider the best Dharma talk that could be given before a Jukai ceremony. It, it was just covered it so beautifully and such a great introduction. And I, I'm, it makes me so excited about the ceremony. And then it also brings back such wonderful memories of how deeply enriching and nourishing uh, an experience it was of sewing a rock And then the ceremony itself, um, you know, I just, all the work that Peg went into it, put into it with the, the beautiful artifacts that are still on a very special shelf in my world. And uh, uh, as you were saying, Anne, having the lineage from Shakyamuni Buddha to Peg, all that, you know, it's just to have that. And then, of course, to be given our, our Dharma name. It's just, just a really, really sweet, sweet thing that uh, we get to live into this afternoon. Thank you so much. The one thing I was going to say, if I was going to mention my Dharma name, is that another aspect of that, the harmonious nature of that, is that the 
person who I um, um, received the precepts with, also part of his Dharma name is part of my Dharma name as well. This is Sheen, heart, mind. And so it's um, a special, um, I find very resonant aspect of um, the names that Peg gave us, that we also have that um, connection there. And the first name and my name. And your names, yes. Yes, once again, kind of that. Yeah. Which is kind of the bottom character of the characters in the writing over the altar. We have Rosemary online. Hi, uh, thank you so much, all of you, for your beautiful words. Um, and my question for you was, what was it like? Um, uh, and uh, McCready. <laughs> what was it like uh, at the point? I know you knew this ahead of time, but when you uh, returned the in the ceremony, when you returned to to um, Peg, what was Oh, returning the rock seal? Yeah. Um, well, I took the precepts class in 2015-16. So I had a number of years of wearing other people's rock here. And in fact, it was it was almost like a um there were other reasons I couldn't sew during that time frame, or I chose not to sew during that time frame um, uh, for family reasons. Um, but also, I was like, well, if I'm wearing, I'm expressing my vow here by wearing another person's rocket suit. So, yeah, it was not a surprise. And um, it was, and I really appreciate the thought that, and the sentiment um, and practice behind that rocket suit return. And then we recently, because my, because uh, John Miller, who had also taken precepts the same time I did, moving away we did we, there's a rock return ceremony and um with that happened um a little earlier than it might have otherwise i think it's usually right at the annual mark and this time it was a little bit before because of his impending departure and um and that was that was well that was also another it was really the ceremony ann and Lori led that and it was really we we, we did all the vows again that's another thing i did also in the meantime of um, there was another precept ceremony I participated in. It's like, I love this, like coming back to the precepts, coming back to the ceremony, being showered again with these teachings and with this opportunity to re-express my vows and to um, confess and repent too, you know, all that goes with it. So the long answer there, sorry, but that's a question. Thank you. Hello. Somehow you don't show as muted, but we can't, we can't hear you. Do you hear me now? Yes. yes. All right. Good morning, everyone. And I, everyone, thank you. Starting with Peg and before Peg, our ancestors, and each of you um, for sharing this morning. I'm, I'm so touched by um, what you shared, Anne, because 
it ties in with something you said during a talk, a comment you made during a talk a while ago. I don't remember what the talk was. I don't remember what the topic was. I'm sure it was Buddhism. Um, <laughs> but you said that what the speaker spoke to at the time made you feel immersed and surrounded by an ocean of love and compassion. And as I heard you say that today and say, Name Kia, and then Buddha Dharma Sangha, it took me right back to your comment that day. And then it took me to our refuges because ever since you've said that, when we say, um, I take refuge in Buddha, I take refuge in Dharma, I take refuge in Sangha, when we get to the part entering deeply into the merciful ocean of Buddha's way, I feel that immersion that you first ignited in me by your comment um, back when. And when we get to the part, um, I take refuge in Dharma, um, entering deeply the merciful ocean of Buddha's way. Now you've brought sowing to our refuges and our refuges to sowing for me. With each plunge of that needle, it is that immersion in our practice in Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So thank you. Thank you for connecting all of those this morning for me. Anybody else to speak online? I, I just, I'm reminded though, and, and just a passing comment uh, from Nancy Mujo Baker's book that she says, I hope I can get this right, that um, she's talking about, you know, discursive minds and what, you, what we can understand with our discursive mind and so on. And she gives a definition of prajna as lived wisdom. Mm. And um, that that's, I, I'm just connecting that with what Nelda was just pointing to, that it, that it is, uh, a whole integration of person and life and uh, our whole world that is in Prajna. That, um, and that, you know, we, we are given these beautiful uh, means and tools for appreciating that in this practice. I will say one other thing about the Rosemary's question to Anne about what did it feel like when you, it was time to give the Rakasu back to Peg. And I will say that there are two steps to that, that when a practitioner completes the sewing of the Rakasu, they give the Rakasu to their teacher and the teacher then completes the rakasu by inking the white silk on the back with the, the um, practitioner's Buddhist name and the date and the teacher's mark. And then the teacher in the ceremony of Jukai gives that rakasu to the practitioner. And at the end of Jukai here at Apamata, the practitioner gives the rakasu back to the sangha for a year. So anyone who's 
taken the precepts or received precepts is free to wear that. So Buddha's robe becomes imbued with the Sangha's practice. And then after one year, as Anne was describing, there's another return from the Sangha via the teacher to the practitioner once again. So it's very connected. And I know in mm -hmm. the book I was reading from, one of the teachers commented on how that so brings to mind, we can't do this by ourselves, that we all need help. We all receive support. We're all in this together. And I might add, it, it gives the, the non-self, that it's not my rock Right. Yeah, I, I guess it's my, I, it was harder, I think, for me to have this go to peg for the inking because it had to go via FedEx <laughs> to Chicago. When I was like, please, FedEx, don't lose this package. Do not lose this package. Yeah. I, I just think it's the, the most beautiful practice at Akamata. The uh, opportunity where other people's devotion and its way. Sometimes people will say, I knew you were sick, so I wore your rock suit today. Yeah. Or they'll wear someone's rock suit through an intensive as a way of feeling close to them. And it's, uh, so it's very connecting in a, in a good way, I think. It's uh, fun that we, right now we have a mysterious Rakasu floating around. <laughs> you know who yes. belongs to, right? From 2005, I think. I, I know who it belongs to. Oh. <laughs> no, you do. Or a it's it's Leela's. Ah. Yes. No, I don't think so. Well, I emailed <laughs> Maybe. her. I emailed her. She knew it was. Oh, oh okay. So okay. great. So it stays with us. Doesn't she want it? Very she nice. said that if we stopped having them where we shared them uh -huh. with everyone then to just put it aside and she'd get it sometime when she can ah, okay but as long as it's being shared she's well that practice isn't going to go away yeah other sanghas are kind of jealous <laughs> that we have that practice do we have time for milan sure of course hi good morning i just wanted to ask a very basic question uh it's about the color of the rakasu. So Anne may have uh, explained it in another talk, but I do not remember. And also, what do you think about it? Thank you. Well, the um, traditional color for people who take Jukai in our lineage is dark blue. Um, this particular blue that we sew with is a color that's distinctive for Akumata. It's a it's the same color blue that you would find on a blueprint. Um, mm. And the color for uh, an ordained priest in our lineage is black. And the color for a person with lay entrustment that is authorized to teach but not ordained as a priest is green, as you can see Joel wearing this, this beautiful forest green. Mm -hmm. um, and it has sky blue stitching. So it's, it's forest and sky is represented in this, this one. The blue rakasus, um, the people who are sewing have a choice of thread colors depending on their own preference, but from a, uh, from a, 
a set of uh, sort of approved colors. Um, so no hot pink. Um, <laughs> and no sparkles. and um, when you receive Dharma transmission, you sew yet another rakasu. Um, it's a lot of sewing. So I said to Joko, seems to involve a lot of sewing. <laughs> I didn't think Zen involved a lot of sewing, but it turns out it involves a lot of sewing, which made her laugh. So this brown one, um, this one is one that matches the one that Flint and I, Flint and I sewed at the same time when he was going to receive Dharma transmission. So um, it's brown and it has our, you can't see this, but it has an Appamata color unique to Flint and I, which is a kind of um, blue violet, pale blue violet. So kind of a um, mm. uh, almost periwinkle color. Yeah. But for the thread. For the thread. Yeah. So, um, so the envelopes then are usually made out of the same material or similar material until you have dormant transmission and then it, they can be kind of wild, you know. Um, <laughs> but they are lined then with a, a silky fabric so that the rocks can slide into it easily. So traditionally it's silk, but it might be just a, uh, like a satin um, fabric. So, so those are the, that's the meaning of the colors in our particular lineage, the Suzuki Roshi lineage. You'll sometimes see this interpreted differently in different lineages. So, um, but generally speaking, black is the color for a priest, typically. Some places are using black for Jukai, but we don't do that in our lineage. Yeah. So, yeah. And you'll sometimes see a different version that has a big ring on one side. Uh, that's common in the Rinzai tradition. Um, and they sew a slightly different Rakasu. And I think they sew a slightly different Rakasu at Great Vow. Um, but the colors are the same. Yeah. Uh, so I saw uh, Tom Wright's Rakasu, uh, who uh, he's a, a pretty famous teacher. Uh, and and, and it, I can't remember, it looked like scales or something. What, what is the that? stitching? The stitching. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there are a variety of um, sort of dress up stitches for people who have, you know, uh, 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 a role. And sometimes the, um, the big robes will be fancy colors, you know, um, hot pink or, you know, green or whatever. Um, and it's sort of ceremonial. Um, but those, but they're, they're, there's a rain stitch, which is, you know, little- That's what it was. Those little rain stitches. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's pretty common in the bird foot, which they're doing for Flint, which is another Fancy stitch. Now uh, they're going for Flint and Madison. So, yeah. yeah. So, so there are these little amendments that sometimes happen. But, but um, the idea of the rakasu is to be plain, not to incite envy or um, you're not supposed to say to somebody, "Wow, that's a beautiful rakasu." You know, like that's, you're not supposed to have any pride in the rakasu, even though you have a certain satisfaction in having stitched it. You know. Um, but they're not intended to be flashy or show off your skills or be, you know, they're supposed to be very, you know, traditionally made from scraps of um, charnel cloth used to wrap bodies in, in graveyards. The Buddha didn't want it to be something that would inspire pride or envy. Yeah. Um, can I, Nellie, I would like to ask you, since you uh, have trained in a different tradition, uh, 
is there are, are there differences that you know uh, between what Peg was describing, what Anne and or the ants have described <laughs> the ants. Uh, uh, in your in the tradition that you have studied in? Uh, that's a long story, actually. Well, uh, Taizan de Shimaru uh, is a teacher who brought Zen to France, and um, actually, in, for Jukai and priest ceremony, uh, people could uh, there was no rule about the color, so people uh, could so rakusu, but it was not blue. I mean, uh, people said rakusu like black or brown. So there was no difference between uh, practitioners and the teacher, actually. Um, but then he died and, well, that's a long story, but um, some Dharma hairs uh, decided to apply the Japanese rule, which is to, um, uh, to have like black rakusus when you receive chukai and then for pre-ceremony and the brown only for teachers, but some some teachers kept the um, tradition of Deshimaru, so uh, I ordained with a teacher who still accepted like different colors of rakusus for uh, Jukai. But the weird thing is that um, the, um, my sewing teacher had a fabric which was blue actually when I prepared my rakusu for Jukai. So actually my rakusu for Jukai is blue which is I find beautiful because now I'm with you. So <laughs> maybe that was a sign. But my Rakusu for priest ceremony, it's uh, gray, actually. Gray? Oh, wow. Yeah. And my teacher decided to uh, write uh, not in uh, Japanese, but in normal letters. So uh -huh. yeah, so it's also different because some teachers, uh, I, I think Peggy is still uh, Right with uh, kanjis, uh, I've seen. Yeah, Jules. Yeah, so he decided like it was not good for calligraphy, and he was like, "Well, let's change the form and write uh, <laughs> yeah. with the, the alphabet." <laughs> Some I've seen um, the Dharma name written out um, in um, yeah, and then and then but yeah, and then also the translation provided. Yeah. on the back as well. So it seems you know, there's a lot of variety. I also realized, after, I think at some point after I started sewing, that there are lineages that they don't sew their own rockers. They right. purchase them. I'm like, oh, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I end up in this lineage where you can't get fired? But um, no, it was a good practice. It was really good. <laughs> Despite the tears. And, and so it was, I appreciated the opportunity. Uh, Laurie and I were here yesterday, uh, and we got to watch uh, Peg and Flint do just a couple of steps in the preparation of the of the materials that will be shared with Cassie and others today. And not one of them was trivial. <laughs> Folding the paper has to be done individually, very carefully, and 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 not just precisely, but matching. The requirements of the other pieces mm. making this this uh they let us try out making the big red stamp <laughs> on a piece of paper the ink sticks to the stamp in such a way that the ink block sticks to the stamp in such a way that you have to be really careful not to you know fling it across the room not to smear it all over your hands and everything 
it's uh, like I say, none of the steps are trivial. And Flint said, this is a big undertaking for someone who's uh, receiving Jukai, and it is not trivial for the for the teacher, for the teachers. Yeah. Well, and I was aware of that with our the white silk here. We've all spent so much time on this rakasu and it's this pure white. And then our teacher does it, and there can be no mistakes. There's no white out for it, and you know, using black uh, permanent mm -hmm. ink and, and and the red, you know, and. and there can, you know, if there are mistakes, it stays on there. There are no mistakes. <laughs> it's a challenge. It's, it is a challenge. We had, to, we had to print this year all new lineage documents. Right. One set for Flint and one set for me. That meant they had to be redrawn. And they're, you know, like oh. this big, this wide. And so we had to have them, they had to be redrawn and printed. Oh. <laughs> so, the, so the one for me, of course, ends in my name. The one for Flint ends in his exactly. name through me. Yeah. So I said, you've got to do all of the Jukais because then people get both of our names. <laughs> that's yeah. nice. Not just my name. Mm. So, yeah. So, so that's the that was really. We had to send for special paper that size for one thing, mm. and it has to be all cotton because that's what is enduring. Yes. So, and my, and my printer's calling me up and he's saying, the Pantone number 37 is slightly different from the example you gave me. Is that gonna be okay? <laughs> I said, is it blue? <laughs> no, 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 it's red, but it's, it's, it's slightly more, less orangey red. I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was in a panic. Because he knew how important these documents Yeah, were. obviously you had let him know that. Yeah, this, but, but it was very uh, challenging, graphically challenging, because mm. it's such a big document. Mm. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> mm. I sent Flint's to Hawaii and Meyer um, here. Okay. <laughs> I'll finish. <laughs> 